Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I was writing about the first cases of COVID-19 in Italy when the pandemic became particularly severe. Italy's government has overnight announced a massive shutdown across the country as it struggles to cope with coronavirus. The main outbreak was in the north, it was in Lombardy. At the new epicentre of the coronavirus pandemic, patients at this bare-bones hospital ward in Italy rest on camp beds, placed one metre apart. It was in wealthy northern Italian regions which have very good health systems, very strong health systems. They've run out of room at the morgue, but they haven't run out of respect for the dead at Cremona Hospital. For several weeks this spring, northern Italy was the epicenter of the pandemic. News filtered out about the tragic toll the virus was taking, of doctors running out of protective supplies, makeshift wards, and hospitals turning away patients, and of hundreds of people dying every single day. There was a stark realization in Italy that if the virus spread to the southern parts of the country, especially Calabria, where the health system is particularly weak, it would result in a human catastrophe, that the system would not be able to cope and it would very likely just collapse. But the reality was that in the south, there had already been something corroding the local healthcare system, something that had diverted some of the tens of billions of euros that the Italian government spends on healthcare every year into investment portfolios across Europe. It was the mafia. This is Behind the Money. I'm Amy Keene. This season, we're looking closely at what the pandemic-induced recession means for where money is and isn't flowing. And in this episode, a cautionary tale for global finance in this era of ultra-low interest rates. It's a story about credit markets, hospital bills, and Italian organized crime. The Italian organized criminal group that everyone is the most familiar with is the Sicilian Mafia. That's Miles Johnson, the FT's Rome correspondent. Mafia groups have been active in Italy for generations. But it wasn't until the early 80s that the Italian state started to unravel the structure of the largest and most deadly, Sicily's Cosa Nostra. In the 1980s, there was a main crime boss in Sicily called Salvatore Rina, and he effectively seized control of um, the entire organization and then went on to wage a very bloody war against the Italian state, which culminated in um, the assassinations of two Italian judges. In this epoch-defining moment in Italian modern history. News of the murder in May 1992 of anti-mafia commissioner Giovanni Falcone, his wife and three police officers in a roadside bomb appalled ordinary Italians. The consequences of that were extremely dire for the Cosa Nostra. Mafia members had displayed an uncanny ability to find their way out of serving their full sentence if they were convicted, usually because of a lengthy appeal process. But that changed. 
the Italian state was effectively forced to respond with brutal force and waged this campaign against the Sicilian Mafia, which left it effectively devastated. And the Italian state learned much more about the structure of the Sicilian Mafia in the process. The Cosa Nostra wasn't just a loose network of gangs, but rather a sophisticated organization with a detailed hierarchy. Armed with that knowledge, the Italian government was able to cut off the organization from the top. Salvatore Rina, the head boss of the Cosa Nostra, was tried and convicted and given 26 consecutive life sentences for his crimes, which he served in solitary confinement. This crackdown weakened the Sicilian Mafia. In the ashes of the sort of vast ambitions of the um, Sicilian Mafia and its sort of failure, this created a vacuum where the Calabrian organized criminal groups known as the Andrangheta stepped into. The Calabrian Mafia is considered to be the wealthiest and the most problematic mafia to fight. Italy calls it the most powerful. Anna Sergi grew up in Calabria. Today, she's a criminologist who studies the mafia at Essex University in the UK. It's the only mafia that we know of, uh, which is successfully mobile. Various clans work in different ways in uh, criminal activities abroad. Uh, we are talking about Australia, the United States, Canada, Belgium, um, Slovakia, Czech Republic, France, Germany, Switzerland. And in 2007, six people were shot dead in Duisburg, Germany. It was a retaliation killing, a feud between two Indrangheta clans that demonstrated just how far the reach of the mafia had spread. That a feud that was born in the most small, small village of San Luca, 3,000 people village in the heart of the Aspromonte region, um, could essentially vallicate the Alps all the way to the very honest and uh, otherwise very nice city of Duisburg, um, was completely out of everyone's, um, everyone's thinking at the time. The Calabria Mafia have been misunderstood uh, for decades, and therefore the police has been playing catching up uh, for quite a while. Everything the Italian authorities had learned about the Cosa Nostra and the tactics they used to dismantle them didn't necessarily apply to the Andrangheta. The Andrangheta have no top boss to take down. There's no strict hierarchy or a centrally organized structure to unravel. Rather, the Calabrian Mafia operate as semi-autonomous units, and those units are built around one thing, family. It's not even a system. It's, it's a, a feature that the Calabrian mafiosi have. Um, they always have a, a clean face somehow. They always have a business. They have their companies. They have their uh, brokers. They have their financial consultants, their lawyers. There's family members who work for the, I don't know, the public administration. They, like normal families, in a way. And with family members of the mafia clan working in all areas of public life in Calabria. They have the networks to secure the best possible, at least seemingly so, the best possible investment. It's estimated that the clans that make up the Calabrian mafia have an annual turnover as high as 44 billion euros. They're involved in everything from the cocaine trade in Europe to arms smuggling, extortion, drug trafficking, and cross-border money laundering. It's an amount that law enforcement claims to be more than all the Mexican drug cartels combined. Which brings us back to hospitals. On top of all of those lucrative criminal activities abroad, this is where the Andrangheta found a money-making opportunity at home, in the Calabrian health system. 
Healthcare is one of the sectors that receives more funding from the state. So it's a very rich pool of money for those who want to get a slice. The Italian taxpayer funds the national health system, but those funds are administered by regional authorities. And because of years of corruption, mismanagement, and embezzlement, the hospitals in Calabria don't have enough resources. Anna Sergi says the lack of trust in institutions gives way to personal relationships. There is always a way in which things are done informally. And within this informality, which is stronger and is trusted more than the state formality, is where mafia power appears. And the mafia thrives in the absence of strong institutions. The conditions which allow organized crime to take hold, both in Italy and in other parts of the world, are effectively weak institutions. You need to be able to corrupt officials. You need to be able to influence local politicians. You need to be able to win contracts from compromised state-connected entities. Misurare esattamente il danno che la criminalità organizzata ha The easiest way that organized crime has found to get inside the healthcare system is to find people who work inside the health system that they can corrupt. That's Massimo Scura. He's an Italian health commissioner. And he was appointed by the central government to root out corruption in the regional health authority. The Andrangheta have always had some interest in healthcare because healthcare is an extremely lucrative area. It's a place where if you can have a company which wins a large contract with a large hospital, you make a lot of money in a way in which it's extremely attractive to criminals. In its simplest sense, this is a scam that involves winning a public contract from a hospital to perform a health service, you know, be it, for example, an ambulance service. You influence that process and you make sure that the tender goes to your company. Sometimes the mafia will use an affiliate who has a clean record to front the business. But in the background, there'll be a silent partner uh, linked to organized crime. And so your company now is running the ambulance service for this hospital, and that's a good business. This basically is a way of, um, you know, the criminals getting access directly to public healthcare budgets in its simplest form. The Indrangheta infiltrated all sorts of healthcare companies, from ones that delivered blood to the mortuaries that took away bodies, providing services that were billed directly to the Italian taxpayer. Massimo Scura spent three years trying to eradicate the mafia from the healthcare system in Calabria. Ultimately, he uncovered millions of euros in fraud in the form of fake invoices and double payments. Some individuals had contracts for millions of euros, but instead of billing services for the amount they were owed, they invoiced a total of 16.5 million euros more in 2017 and 8.8 million more in the first half of 2018. In 2019, Italy's central government dissolved two regional health authorities in Calabria because of mafia infiltration. But the Indrangheta don't just pillage a health system. They found a way to make it yield dividends. This is where global capital markets, financial engineering meet street-level organized crime in Italy. 
Remember that mafiosa who has a silent stake in an ambulance provider for a Calabrian hospital? Well, he wants to bill the Italian state for providing that service, and he wants to get paid quickly. Except he can't. Because of the unfortunate situation in the Calabrian health system, where there's a vast amount of debt built up over many, many years due to various things, including sort of mismanagement, waste, and in many cases, corruption, there's a lot of debt there. So the contractors to the health system don't get paid very quickly. And in many cases, it can take years to be paid from the Italian state. So the way it would work in the past is I am an organized criminal. I have a silent stake in, for example, an ambulance service provider for a hospital. And I might just have to sort of sit there and twiddle my thumbs for many, many years before I get my money from the Italian state. But the way it can work now is that there are factoring companies which effectively buy unpaid invoices owed by the Italian state to these companies, and they buy them at a discount. So you're owed 100 euros. This company will say, you know, you don't need to wait for two, three years to be paid because you need the cash now. We'll pay you 80 euros now. And in return, you give us the invoice which is owed to you by the local health authority and ultimately the Italian state. These factoring companies batch a bunch of these Italian healthcare invoices together and sell them as securities to private investors in places like London and Seoul. It then became apparent after doing research on some of these companies who were issuing these things that they had been named in very prominent anti-mafia raids in Italy. Securitizing debt is a standard enough financial instrument, but the Calabrian Mafia have used this sophisticated tool to launder money from the Italian health system. An older generation might have resorted to extortion and intimidation, but this new generation of Indrangheta has access to people with business degrees and the financial savvy to understand markets. So all of a sudden, I was becoming aware that international investors had effectively been buying up invoices which have been issued by mafia front companies in the south of Italy. Meanwhile, private banks and hedge funds that had riskier investment appetites were ready to pick up anything that offered an enticing yield. So I think the current rate of interest is around 7% a year for these unpaid bills, which is a massive, massive amount if you consider that interest rates are effectively zero. So this suddenly becomes quite an attractive financial asset. I can maybe make 5%, 4% from this. Whereas if I put my money in a regular investment like government bonds, I'd make zero. It's estimated that about a billion euros of these private Italian healthcare bonds have been bought and sold between 2015 and 2019. But it's hard to quantify just how much of this was so-called dirty money. And that's because these bonds were sold as private deals. And private deals are not held up to the same credit rating scrutiny as public ones. These were deals which are not designed to be sort of widely traded in financial markets. They're private placements. So uh, you don't really need a credit rating for these things. You know, it's sort of unnecessary cost and unnecessary level of transparency, which might make the process complicated. So um, you just sort of sell them to um, the investors that want them. Now, these um, these investors, whether they be private banks or, you know, risk-seeking hedge funds, what did they say uh, when your reporting came to light? What did they say to you in response to their involvement in these transactions? 
So every single person in the chain of how these deals are done said, we had no idea when we bought them. We either did our due diligence or we relied on other people to do their due diligence. And so everyone sort of said, we didn't know about this criminal activity, which is something which we have to believe. The issue is that ultimately, regardless of whether they knew or not, this is still a means where these are organizations which are making profits from buying assets which have been originated by organized criminals. And these are organized criminals who are involved in some of the very worst, most sort of terrifying organized criminal activities, widespread violent extortion, arms trafficking, massive drug smuggling, murder, intimidation, all sorts of things. I guess that brings me to this question, though. Is it actually illegal to buy these assets? It's illegal if you know where they come from. Ultimately, you know, these are people who are buying assets in good faith. They're buying assets from a high-risk sector in a high-risk jurisdiction, where, as we've seen with two major regional health authorities in Calabria being shut down for mafia infiltration just in the last two years, this is a serious problem. So you need to know what you're getting into when you buy those assets. But if the companies are never raided for some reason and the health authority pays them, then you get paid as an investor. So it doesn't really matter. Miles is right. To the investor, it doesn't really matter how the underlying asset, or in this case, debt, originates. At the end of the day, the investor is assuming that risk for the high yield that gets paid on the bond. What this needs to be framed in is a context of the sort of distorting consequences of ultra-low interest rates where private bank customers or private bank portfolio managers in Luxembourg wouldn't be buying up this stuff if they could get a return just sticking their money in Italian or German government bonds. This is symptomatic of an increasing reach for yield by investors everywhere where they need to go into sort of ever zanier, more exotic products. And so that's sort of why this sort of market exists. In some ways, the plundering of the Calabrian health system is lost to the ones and zeros on investment accounts across the world. But the physical evidence is quite real. The lack of resources is the, the visible side. Uh, the lack of uh, anything that is uh, normal functioning of an hospital, the lack of the buzzing um, in, in a way is already a sign. Um, and they look like some sort of war zones, so extremely um, old. They look like they haven't been taken care of. They look run down. Anna Sergi says that you can also see the damage in the amount of people who, even during a pandemic, would travel elsewhere to seek health care. If you go and pull out the data from uh, the healthcare provision in Italy, especially during this period of COVID, uh, you'll see very clearly that Calabria is the, the number one region where people are asked or are forced or are somehow um, they think it's better to go elsewhere to be cured. So in order to prevent local Calabrian healthcare fraud from making its way into investment portfolios, we'll have to look to the prosecutors on the ground in Italy. The preliminary hearing for the country's largest ever anti-mafia trial began just a few weeks ago in September. The strategy is to root out every single mafia association that has compromised business dealings and to start fresh. 
the problem is not the Ndrangheta in this sense. Um, it's not that the Ndrangheta comes in full of evil, malice, because they really want to enter and destroy healthcare. It's just that the system in place for uh, honest and transparent investments is not always conducive to honest and transparent investments because of the lack of resources. So it's a difficult story and it doesn't, it's, there is no clear culprit in a way, not always at least. If you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend reading Miles' full investigation in the FT. We've linked to it in our show notes. It's really great to be back for the season. We've got a lot in store. And we'd love to know what you might be interested in hearing, too. Send us an email at behindthemoney@ft.com or find me on Twitter at Amy P. Keen. Behind the Money is produced by Olokemi Aladisui, Green Turner, and Louise Burton were our sound engineers on this episode. And our editor was Liam Nolan. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.